Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. It's now time for A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. From amazing stories to colorful personalities, join us as we go in-depth with the men and women that make up the Oakland Athletics Organization. It all starts right now. Chris Townsend with you here with another edition of A's Unfiltered on A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. We're just about done with Tampa Bay. The road trip from hell is going to end It's been a wild road trip from Anaheim to Texas to Tampa Bay, but we have had a lot of fun, especially on A's Cast Live. We've got a couple really good interviews for you coming up here. We've got Mark Tompkin from the Tampa Bay Times. Everybody in baseball knows Mark. He's one of the top writers in the game, been covering the the Rays for a long time. And what's interesting about the interview with Mark is the fact that The A's and the Rays are very similar when you look at these organizations. They're very similar from the standpoint of how they play, how they build their teams, and also the issues that they have business-wise with payroll and stadium and the troubles of getting a new stadium. So we'll talk to we'll talk to Mark about everything that's going on with the Rays. We'll talk about the A's with him as he keeps up, obviously, with Susan Slusser and John Shea of the San Francisco Chronicle. We're also going to hear from Cliff Floyd. What a great outfielder Cliff Floyd was. He was a terrific player, power hitter, very good defensively and now has turned into a really good analyst for the MLB Network. So we're going to have him also. But we're going to start off A's Unfiltered with somebody who's special in, in the A's family. And I do say he's part of a family because this guy has been repping Oakland and been repping the Oakland Athletics for a very, very long time. He has done so much work in baseball. He's worked for the Brewers, then worked for the Padres, went to work for the MLB Network where he is today. He's now the voice of Sunday Night Baseball. He's done the Olympics. He's done the NFL. He's even done the XFL back in the day. But Matt Vaskersian, who's always repping the A's on the MLB Network and always talking A's, well, we were like, 
When we put this show together, A's Cast Live, we had a list of people we have to get on early, and he was definitely high on that list. So we got a chance to check in with Matt Vaskersian while we were here in Florida. Here's my conversation with the man who is the voice of Sunday Night Baseball and one of the top anchors from the MLB Network, Matt Vaskersian. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, Chris, you got it. Good talking to you. Yeah, this is what, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on early is we've created something that nobody else in baseball is doing. And you know all about the A's and innovation as a big time A's fan is we are the only team allowed to have a 24-7 streaming station that's just about the A's. Then we created this live show for the TuneIn app on A's cast. So what we're doing is pretty historic, and I really believe, as I've talked to a lot of different baseball teams, and they're asking me, like, how are you guys doing this? I think in the future, every single team is going to be doing what we're doing. But as you know, the A's, we always got to be first. <laughs> I love that about the A's. Love that about what you're doing here. And I would agree that in a copycat league and a copycat business, pro sports, baseball, certainly, everybody's going to fall in line and do this. And who knows, maybe we'll even get to a place where – uh, you know, that's the official and exclusive place to tune into a game uh, at some point. But for now, it's super cool that the A's have uh, a 24-hour outlet like yours. So when you think about your fandom with the A's, obviously it's very tough on the East Coast because our games are late. But was it like working at the MLB Network and, and you're a big-time A's fan? You know, I, I've, uh, I, I've put it out there for such a long time that um, – Anytime there's like an A's thread to a story or, you know, Matt Chapman hits in 20 in a row or Chris Davis goes three straight with a, with a two-run homer, whatever it might be, it's always, oh, you're A's, Vaskersian. <laughs> and, and I'm proud of that. Uh, you, you're right in that the only hard part about it is that games start at, you know, 10, 10 Eastern time when I'm getting ready to hit the rack. Uh, but on the occasion that I'm up and lucid, which is sometimes – there's the fact that we have this technology and that I can watch an A's game on any device, uh, regardless of where I might be, is the kind of thing that if you had suggested that to me when I was a kid growing up in the East Bay, dying for product, just waiting for the time that I could you know, turn on the radio and get the game because it was the only place to stay involved, if you had suggested that this kind of thing would have been available to former me in 1976 or whatever, I'd have, I'd have thought I was dead and gone to heaven. I mean, it's the greatest thing. There's no excuse to not keep up with your favorite team, to have a part of the dialogue. I mean, I, one of the things I do when I get to MLB Network in the morning uh, and begin a shift is I get onto .com and vote for the A's to represent at the All-Star team. And it's, that's an that's a uphill battle, as we know, as A's fans, but uh, it's cool. This technology allows your fandom to be uh, everywhere. So I'm sitting here in the press box at Tropicana Field, and I look at the A's, I look at the Rays, I look at how they're built, I look at their issues with stadiums. It, it's like these two teams mirror each other like no other teams. Yeah, really true. Uh, you know, and it starts with the fact that they just have to go about their business a little smarter than everybody else because of the limitations they have in terms of market size, resource, ballpark, all the things we know to be true. The Rays, to me, have really hit uh, home runs this year with a couple of things. And this is, again, the A's are very much active and trying to do the same thing. But the deal they made with the Pirates 
to bring in Tyler Glass now and Austin Meadows uh, might go down as a Lou Brock for Ernie Brolio type heist that we talk about uh, in a historic sense down the road. Those, I mean, you've got a guy, Glass now, before he got hurt was, and it was early, but he was in the Cy Young talk. Uh, you've got Austin Meadows, who is absolutely in the MVP discussion now. Nothing against Chris Archer, but that's two super duper stars that aren't being uh, aren't garnering a lot of money for a guy who's perhaps already had his best spurt as a big leaguer. Uh, and the A's do a lot of that same stuff. You know, the 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 free agent signing of Charlie Morton. The A's have hit gold with with free agent signings and the pitching staff before. Last year was the greatest example of all. So you're right. There are parallels there. Uh, it's easy to root for both of those teams, even though uh, the powers that be and, you know, the big media monsters always want the Red Sox and Yankees to square off. Uh, for me, give me A's and Rays because I just love how they have to work. Entering Monday, we're on pace for 6,514 home runs. That's nearly 1,000 more than last year. The record was obviously in 2017. That's going to blow by that by almost 500. What is your take on all the balls flying out of the yard these days? Well, I mean, the narrative, uh, you know, the conventional wisdom is that there's something going on with the baseball. And I, I'm not qualified enough to make that determination. The one piece of evidence that I can point to that would kind of back that philosophy is that now that they're using the major league ball in triple a, all the triple a homers are up too. So, I mean, that's a, that's a coincidence. That's it's too vivid to ignore. And I am not a scandal theory guy. All these people with their, you know, their hot take Oliver stone. Oh, this is a fix. This is a scam. This is a, I, I don't buy into all that. But it is hard to ignore these numbers that home runs are way up and home runs at AAA are up and the balls for the first time are the same. And speaking of home runs, we had a couple dust-ups over the weekend. The A's with Sampson and Canna. Sampson didn't like that Canna watched it for just a little bit. It was pretty ridiculous. And then, of course, the one that everybody's talking about, Madison Bumgarner and Max Muncy. Where are you on the old school versus new school? Bat flip, pitchers don't like it. What's your view on it? What's your the view by your colleagues on it? You know, I think most of the guys that work here at MLB Network, former players, um, and there are some exceptions, but most guys feel like, look, we have to kind of change our sensibilities about the unwritten rules. And the mixed messages that we get from Major League Baseball, uh, on one sense, on one hand, you've got the whole let the kids play camp, uh, where, you know, pimping a home run, flipping a bat, putting your hat on backwards, whatever you want to do is fine. And then you've got the other side of the fence that feels like adhere to the older policies, play the game the way it's meant to be played, respect it, uh, keep your head down, better be seen and not heard. There's that. I think more people are falling in line with the let the kids play camp. And for me, I think it just you can't put a blanket statement on it. It's got to be looked at in individual doses. If somebody pimps a home run in a lopsided game and it's so egregious and so outlandish, um, then, yeah, I, I don't like that. But if it's an emotional moment, if the game's on the line, if it comes against an opponent that that player has struggled against, uh, then, yeah, do it. I mean, I, the Muncie thing for me is a great example of, of where nobody's wrong. Muncie hits this monstrous shot into McCovey Cove. 
he flips the bat. He does a little dance out of the box. Uh, that's okay by me. Bumgarner yells at him all the way around the bases. That's okay by me too. And Bumgarner's line I thought was perfect. He said, look, if you're going to endorse a, a hitter, a player, quote-unquote, being himself, let me be myself and let me bark back. I love that. Where, where I take exception is if Max Muncy digs in the next time against uh, Madison Bumgarner and gets hit in the wrist and breaks a bone, then I've got a huge problem with that. Just because he took you deep doesn't mean you need to retaliate. I think that that incident is a perfect microcosm as to the many different complexities with, with this issue. You know, I think about your career and all of the play-by-play you have done and the sports that you have covered. So when you think Sunday night baseball, great to have you on there. I love watching it. You have your work in the NFL. You've done the Olympics. For you as a broadcaster, what's been the best one for you to cover? It's, it's baseball for me. I mean, this was this is my, my love. And I always kind of litmus test it this way for people, um, younger broadcasters or, you know, people that – that know uh, a little about a lot as opposed to people that know a lot about a little. I always say, look, it, worst case scenario, and you're doing a game, baseball, football, basketball, whatever, or you're hosting a studio show and everything around you blows up. The power goes out, uh, your analysts are stricken with laryngitis and nothing else works except you have to talk. How long could you go? How long can you segue yourself into the next discussion in any given sport? And for me, um, you know, and this is the, what the answer should be for everybody. It's you should, you should be loaded enough to where you never stop. You should be loaded up with information and talking points to where it comes naturally enough to where you can keep going forever until they tell you shut up. And for me, there's only one game that I can do that. And that's baseball. As much as I love football, as much as I love basketball, um, Baseball for me is the game, and I'm, I'm pretty lucky to be to be doing the one that I'm doing and the one that I love the most. And let's end on this. I know you're a big uniform guy, and one of the cool things about our organization is the uniforms through the years. From when you were a kid, and I, you know, I always talk to Ray Fossey about this, to, to where Charlie Finley and had all those different uniforms and to where we are today, there really is nothing better than the green and gold with the Oakland Athletics. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, we could, we could. Have, this is a great discussion. Like, I did not love what they did in the uh, mid '80s with the athletics script and the white on white. I didn't love it because I like A's. For me, is it's A's. I, I like referring to the team as the A's as, as opposed to the athletics, and that's just a personal silly thing. But the the uniforms that the A's wore in, I think, '75. 75 and 76, one of the combinations, it was the Kelly Green top. I loved that one. For me, that was the one. Dick Green and Claudio Washington and Bill North and some of the survivors of uh, the early free agent defectors uh, in, the, in the Finley days, that was my favorite uniform top. I'm looking right now at a Dick Williams and Reggie Jackson bobblehead I have in my <laughs> office, and they've got the green, Kelly Green top on. I love those. Uh, not to mention, here's a sleeper. The What the A's wore, and I think it was the 71 All-Star game at Tiger Stadium when Reggie hit the light tower, I think the A's wore the yellow-yellow combination. That one, I just, I like the color, man. More, more Kelly green and yellow for me. There was a game, I don't remember what year it was, the Pirates were in town, and it was a throwback game, and Monty Moore brought his dinger bell, and it was it, the A's were all yellow. It was, it was the gold top, 
gold pants, and the Pirates went all black, old school with the piping around the hat. Really one of the greatest uniform games I've ever seen. Oh, that's fantastic. That's worth digging up. Yeah, that exact. I couldn't agree more. The, the, the cake box hat that the Pirates wore was great. And for me, yeah, we're talking about the A's. The Kelly Green was my favorite with the A's instead of Oakland. Well, you, you talk about being able to talk for a long time. I could talk to you all day. I'm a big fan. I love the network, love your work on ESPN and in the NFL. We appreciate it. And since you're such a big A's fan, you know we're going to have to have you back again. Would love to. Talk A's anytime. It's one of the few things I'm actually qualified to talk about. So uh, <laughs> look forward to it, Chris. Hey, you take care. Okay, man, thanks. Matt is a real great guy. And I know people, a couple people who know him personally, and they'll tell you it's not an act. He is the real deal. And he always liked to see Bay Area guys doing well. And he has obviously worked very hard, and he's doing well for himself with the MLB Network and also ESPN. Our next guest also works at the MLB Network. I always liked Cliff Floyd as a player. He was a guy, whenever he was out there on the trading block, I was always like, I would love to see him green and gold. I mean, he, he was a really good player. He was a dangerous player. He's a world champion. He's an all-star. And he's now become a very good analyst. There's a lot of good analysts on the MLB Network, but Cliff has definitely become one of those guys. We also got a chance to check in with Cliff Floyd while we were at Tropicana Field. He played there uh, for the Rays, and he really knows breaking down. He knew coming on he was going to be breaking down the Rays and the A's. Here is my conversation with Cliff Floyd. And now joining me is a guy that whenever I heard he was on the trading block, I would be like, oh, man, I wish he would come to the A's because he had power. He could do it all defensively. He had a phenomenal career, and now he's a terrific broadcaster for the MLB Network. Cliff Floyd is with us. Cliff, thank you for taking the time. No doubt. Thanks for having me, my man. You know, when I think about the Rays, and I just start looking at the numbers as they're tied for the American League East, they're third best in run differential. They're third best in batting average. They're number one in ERA. They're third fewest uh, errors in the game. Cliff, just talk about how fundamentally sound these Tampa Bay Rays are. You know what? I mean, when, when you put it like that, man, there's so much that goes into a philosophy that I think they're preaching down there in Tampa. And I think everybody is trying to bottle that up and sort of steal their formula because it works. And if you can get guys – without looking at the names on the back of the jerseys to understand that they don't have to be about that. I think that makes the most sense of, of trying to get the organization consistently, you know, doing things the right way and head in the right direction. Because if you're going to tell me that, you know, uh, Kevin Cash, when we talk about all these, you know, managers are getting opportunities, whether they manage, have managerial experience or not, it doesn't matter anymore. Can you, can you, can you lead young men? And if you can lead young men to, to follow your philosophy, as they're doing in Tampa, I think it just works. And all those things you preach are, the, to me, the sexiest things in the game because that's going to put you in a W column way more than the L column, just be playing together and understand the importance of fundamentals. You know, so many teams that we have today are built on on-base percentage and walking and hitting home runs. Yeah. And I was talking to Bob Melvin today, and he's going, listen, these guys steal bases. These guys hit behind the runners. They hit and run. They play small ball. They can play long ball. How tough is it to play a team that can really do everything? It's very tough. Just ask the Boston Red Sox. And I think, you know, you know, that's a great question because, you know, if I told you, well, you know, the most important thing in the game 
on defense is getting a good jump on the ball, you go, <laughs> you're crazy. But when you think about the importance of getting good jumps on baseballs, that, that don't mean just necessarily being an outfielder. That means infielders getting themselves in the right position to throw the ball across the diamond. That means knowing the situation before it happens. Of if I'm going home with a play because I think the game is going to be tight enough and got to cut a run down. All these scenarios plays out in a big league ball game in nine innings. And when you watch the Rays play, they're always in a ball game because they're going to do little things right to, to scratch a run here, to hit a ball at the wall, to get a guy to who struck who struck out three times in the game, to get a guy over third base and get a man from third base in less than two outs. So when I watched them play, and I literally the other night watched them in Boston, it's just it's just the looking on their faces of Kiermaier and not getting a guy in from third base. Okay, that happens. But also looking at how they go about playing their games and how – you know, Kevin Cash puts these guys in position and I always say, well, you know, does any, does every manager put their, their guys in position to be failures? No, it's just understanding his personnel and what they can do. And that in itself is in a great position to be successful. And that's why they win it. He's a world series champion and all-star does a great job on the MLB network. Cliff Floyd with us here on A's cast live. And I think about the athletics at 33 and 33. When you play that many games and you're at 500, what does that tell you about this ball club? Um, they've dealt with a lot of adversity. And, you know, I think the biggest thing is they've had a long win streak. Um, you look at the star players in the middle, they, they, and they've missed, you know, they, they've missed a lot of time amongst the guys that have been injured. And I think the IL list has been something that if, you, if you're an A's fan, and you're watching this team because a, a lot of us on the East Coast won't get a chance to see the A's play a lot, right? You just, you just don't get the chance to see them unless they come this way, obviously. Uh, they're on a grueling 10-day trip as, 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 we, as we talk right now. But I think they've had so much adversity. When you lose, a, when you lose your star pitchers, guys got to fill in. You got a guy making a debut today in Tanner Anderson. These are things where you have to overcome throughout the season. So when you look at the, look at the 500, I mean, um, record now it's just letting you know that they've missed time and then you're and then when you look at chris Davis, chris davis just hit his third third home in what about 30 40 games the other day on sunday these are things that when you look at the a's team if they're going to be 20 games over 500 you need your you need your star pitchers pitching you need your positional players raking a lot of things have to happen and if it's not yeah, they've always been able to find guys to fill in. It's just sometimes you're going to succumb to that. You mentioned Chris Davis, and, yeah, he finally hit the home run. And, you know, hasn't hit a whole lot of home runs since he signed that contract extension. Obviously, he had the problem with the hip when he ran into the wall in Pittsburgh. Right. But but when guys sign contract extensions, we never know how the money's going to affect them. Are they going to try and earn that contract in every at-bat? What was it like for you in your career when you did get a raise and, and how you performed after it? Yeah, you know what? You, just, you, you really don't know. I know one thing. <clears throat> the emotions take over to not allow you to stay human. Um, it's, just, it's just humanly impossible. I think you try so much and so hard uh, and you want everything to in your, in your, in your body to show everybody that you're worth everything that you just got and it don't work. And as soon as you say, you know what, I can't please everybody. I can't do this anymore. You go back to raking. And, and, and that's what happened for me. I, I, you know, I remember the first month it was horrific and you're trying your best to make sure that, 
you know what? <clears throat> I don't, I don't say anything wrong. I don't, I don't, I don't do anything wrong. Um, I want these guys to know that they signed the guys not only on the field but off the field. You're thinking way too much. And I, if you watch him play as as you do every every night, you're probably seeing some of those things with how Chris is going about his game. We know he's not going to be a high average guy, but the guy that that doesn't miss those pitches that are hangers or don't miss some pitches that he that he socks to right center field, he's not doing that right now. But I think he's trying to do too much. You know, over the weekend, we had a couple instances, one with the A's against the Rangers where Canna hit the ball off Sampson, and he wasn't happy that he watched it for a second or two and then started around the bases, and he was chirping at Canna. At Canna. And then, of course, Max Muncie, what happened with Madison Bumgarner. <laughs> Bumgarner's done this all the time. Like, where, where are we this, with this oh, and man. watching home runs and pitchers? And, and What's your view? Where should we – how should we be handling this going forward? You know what? You know, it's time to stop, you know, treating this as so serious. And you, and you have, you know, you, you, you having these, these stare downs and conversations. You, you're ticked off because a guy just hit you 500 feet. Okay, I get it. But tell me, you know, that you're really concerned about a guy that comes out the box after he hits the ball and does anything he wants to do. Now. When you, when you watch some guys do it, you go, okay, that might be too much. But what's too much? Like, I just don't, I just don't think that – and I'm going to put myself in a pitcher's shoes because I, I, that's exactly how I want to see it. If I gave up a 500-foot homer, do you think I'm mad at the hitter or do you think I, was, I just made a horrible mistake of a pitch? Like, I just put my team in a bind if I, if, I, if I gave that team the lead or I gave up the lead or it's just a regular, you know, solo homer and a, and a one nothing lead. What what how does that how does that play into me being able to chirp to a guy that I could care less? I mean, he hit a ball five hundred feet. That's part of the game. We we've seen the game change. Uh, these unwritten rules of doing this and doing that. You know what makes you be able to tell me what I can and can't do once I hit a ball small and vice versa. If you strike me out and you you throw your hands up and your gloves come off, I, I'm still gonna look at you like you know what I'm gonna say. If I get a chance to hit you. The next at bat, better believe I'm going to show up just like I'm going to show out just like you. And that to me is the part of the game where I enjoy. I really do. I enjoy watching these dudes have fun. I think it's it's, it's something where you know you you feeling like so many emotions every day for 180 plus days. I'm I'm taking that path of 162. Is what's wrong with showing some emotion? It's every day you're doing something you love to do, and when you do something well, because it's not going to last long, because we know it's a game of failure then let me be me. And I think that's the problem, you know, these, these dudes are having. They're so caught up in the old school way that they're not enjoying themselves. Yeah, isn't having fun going to resonate more with the younger fans and help build a younger fan base for this game? 150%. And, and until we realize that, we're going to still have this foolishness going on. And thank goodness we don't have these guys throwing at each other because, you know, that, that to me is where you cross the line. Like, I mean, do you do you seriously have, a, a, you know, the accuracy to throw a ball and try to hit me in my butt, but maybe you hit me in my head? Like, let, let, let's stop this junk and, and, and have some fun and enjoy the fact that we can pay a ton of money to have some fun and win ball games. You know, I was thinking if you were playing today and they were shifting on you, because I think they'd shift you, how would you handle that? How would you attack the defense in the shift? I would hit 350. 
<laughs> I'm telling you the truth. I, you know what? I, I have enough pride in my body to know that I, I, I just know how I think. I would rather hit 350 with 20 homers and 100 RBIs. And I think that in itself is where you 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 look at these guys today and you wonder to yourself, why can't hmm, why 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 can't they think that way? Why do you think you have to hit through the shit? Why do you think you have to do some of these things you seeing these guys do? Because if you if you watch the game closely like I do these days, they shift you and still pitch you away. It's not like they shift you and pound you in. And I'm talking about left and head like I was. I would say, hold up. I'm watching these dudes still pitch me away, and you still going to shift me and have one guy sitting there at shortstop? No, no way. I'm going to hit 315. Yeah, I'm going to move y'all back around slowly but surely. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I've actually seen it in a couple series traveling with the team where Chris Davis hits a couple ground balls to second. No one's there for base hits. It changed the shift. I saw a couple of the Rangers in our last series – even just attempt to bunts change how the shift. So if, if players would just adjust, the defenses would adjust. Unfortunately, we're not seeing a whole lot of that. Hey, Cliff, thank you so much for, for the time. Loved you as a player. You're doing a fantastic job on the MLB Network, and we'd love to have you on again. No, oh, man, anytime, bro. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. You know, these are the type of interviews you're going to be getting on A's Cast Live as we're trying to get national big names as much as we can. Of course, we're going to get our local guys who cover the A's, but we're going to try and get the big names in this sport because that's what we want this show, A's Cast Live, to be all about. All right, my final guest for A's Unfiltered is basically when you think of how Susan Slusser covers the A's for the San Francisco Chronicle, well, Mark Tompkin does exactly that for the Tampa Bay Times. And he's going to joke in here where he talks about at the All-Star break when the commissioner gets up to talk about the business of baseball, it's basically him and John Shea doing doing dual, dueling questions to the commissioner, Rob Manfred, about the A's getting a new ballpark, that's John Shea, and about the Rays getting a new ballpark, that's Mark Tompkin. And he he's battling to get the Rays, whether their ballpark is going to be in St. Petersburg. I think a lot of people would like to see it in Tampa since we've been here. You know, I, I, I've now learned, I know more about their situation. Obviously, I, I know about the A situation. That's why we have the build with David Cavill. But I didn't really know much about the situation here with the Rays. A lot of people here want to see the Rays in Tampa. And the reason why is there is a bridge that you have to go over to get from Tampa to St. Petersburg. And from what I've learned from a couple people, including one of my Uber drivers since I've been here, it's a real pain in the neck to get from Tampa to St. Petersburg. And they do believe if they put the team in Tampa, it would open up to a lot more people going to their games. They'd be more of a regional team. And so the hockey team here, the Tampa Bay Lightning, they've sold out seven straight years. You know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have had a strong family. So if you put the team in Tampa, that would probably be what's best for this organization. But yet St. Petersburg doesn't want to lose the Ray, the Rays. So they need a new ballpark. There's no question. By the way, the Tropicana Field, everybody bags on it. It's not as bad as you think. 
And the whole thing for me about baseball inside, I mean, listen, the NBA's inside, the NHL's inside, the weather's so bad here from a standpoint they always have rain, there's no way you can play outside. You're going to have to have a retractable roof. There's no question. So here is my conversation with Mark Tomkin, who covers the Rays for the Tampa Bay Times. Mark Tomkin from the Tampa Bay Times now joins me as uh, we've both had some flight issues the past uh, in the past 24 hours. Yeah, I uh, was on my way from Boston to Tampa this morning and uh, was at the airport bright and early, 6.30, looking cheery as always, as you can imagine. And uh, that flight ended up in Orlando because of the bad weather. It kind of camped over Tampa Airport today and sat on the ground in Orlando for a while, deciding whether they were going to bus us or drive us or whatever they were going to do, I guess. And then decided to gas up the plane and flew us back over. So if you ever need to know in a bar bed, it's 22 minutes takeoff to touchdown flying Orlando to Tampa. Yeah, I was thinking that's like, like, like from L.A. to San Diego. That's a quick little flight. Yeah, or maybe Oakland to San Francisco. I don't know, depending on that. But no, it was kind of a weird day, but uh, we're here and ready to see some baseball and some interesting, uh, two interesting teams, really. Yeah, well, I think about the Rays, and they're just so fundamentally sound. I have all these numbers uh, about what they do, and it doesn't matter if it's batting average. It doesn't matter if it's defense. It doesn't matter if it's ERA, starters ERA, or relievers ERA. It's just they are a very fundamentally sound baseball team. And in today's baseball, when we don't have a lot of fundamentally sound teams, there's a reason why they're 40 and 24. Yeah, and, you know, they do a lot of things, and they get a lot of attention for the things they do differently. And and certainly using the opener stands out the most, how they manage their pitching staff. You know, they rotate guys in the leadoff spot, things like that. But I, I think you're right, Chris. At the core of this is they play a pretty crisp game of baseball. I mean, it's built on pitching and defense. And, and whomever the pitcher is, whatever innings he's working, they still need guys who throw strikes, you know, get their strikeouts, but also don't put a lot of guys on, don't walk a lot of guys. And then it's predicated on playing good defense. And, yeah, you know, we've seen it go away at times where they do make some mistakes and it usually costs them, and especially when they play the better teams. But – you know, you'll see, uh, you know, over the next couple of days here, I mean, their outfielders, especially, of course, Kiermaier, but even, you know, Austin Meadows, Tommy Pham. I mean, they run down a lot of balls. Evisale Garcia has been having a great year. It's going to be end up being a great signing for three and a half million bucks. They picked him up when they didn't get a couple other guys they had explored, such as Nelson Cruz. And, and then the infield has been really good. I mean, Brandon Lowes turned himself into a pretty good second baseman. Uh, Adamus is off tonight. I mean, he had a rough weekend offensively, but he pl- still plays some pretty good defense for them for the most part. Uh, first and third, a little shaky. I mean, G-Man Choi, Yandy Diaz, uh, how they line those guys up. They're not quite as uh, adept defensively, but the rest of the team's pretty good. And then uh, Mike Zanino behind the plate, you guys are familiar with from his days in Seattle, obviously. And then they just brought in recently Travis Darno, and he's going to stick around now. The guy that had that backup job got sent to AAA when he came off the injured list today, Michael Perez. So when, when we're talking about the opener, ever since they started using it with Sergio Garcia, was the first guy to throw out there. They had the best ERA after that in the American League, and they continue to use it, and they continue to have the best ERA in the American League. Why does everybody else more around 500 with it or below 500? But the Rays, they do it. They figured it out. How does it work here better than everywhere else? Uh, you know, I, I – in all honesty, I don't know if it's that they do it differently or better. They certainly have a little better understanding maybe of, of how to make it more effective. But also, it's who pitches on the other days. I mean, when you got Charlie Morton and Blake Snell pitching on the other days and Tyler Glass until he got hurt, that helps your ERA too. So that's a part a factor here. But you know, I think when they've used the opener, uh, it doesn't always work. But they try to make it so there's a contrast in styles. You know, and I think you'll see it tomorrow most likely unless something goes unscheduled tonight is – 
you know, they've got Jalen Beeks, who's kind of a softer throwing lefty, is going to pitch what they call the bulk innings. I know I, the A's were trying to call it the bridge guy last year, and yeah, that someone's going to come up with the right name. The here, follower now, the follower, the premier <laughs> pitcher. We've heard all these different things. The Rays just call it the bulk guy because he pitches the bulk of the innings. And but you know, Jalen Beeks is a kind of soft throwing lefty. He'll be the bulk guy tomorrow. So they'll probably use Ryan Stanek as the opener, who's a really hard throwing righty. So you got a guy throwing 100 miles an hour. You know, to start the game and everything's usually down and low. And then you got a guy who's going to come in after him who's a lefty kind of soft tosser who gets people out by elevating and spinning some breaking pitches and stuff like that. So if you're a hitter, you can imagine how contrasting a style that is. And then Beeks only goes four innings or so usually. And then one of those hard throwing righties will come in behind him. So it really kind of messes with the, the psyche, the planning, the strategy, the comfort level of the hitters. They may see, you know, depending on how the game goes, the hitter could see four different pitchers in all four of his at bats tomorrow night. And I think about Stanek, his numbers as, a, as an opener are now far better than his as a reliever. Is that strange? Well, I, I think he's gotten very comfortable in that role. And, and that's not even necessarily a great thing because Kevin Cash has kind of hinted at this as times where, you know, he also has to be able to pitch in the seventh and eighth inning. I mean, maybe he's not a ninth inning guy, but he's got to be a seventh inning guy, an eighth inning guy. And you're right. He's, it's almost like in his mind, that's his role as the opener. And when he gets in a game, which they try to use him, you know, in some other situations, higher leverage situations, it hasn't gone as well. So he may be in a weird way. Well, it looks like a success story of the opener system. It also, in a weird way, may have you know, stunted him a little bit. And we've talked about that, too. I mean, Ryan Yarborough won 16 games last year, most of those pitching behind an opener. But, you know, was that the right thing for his development as a pitcher? Because, you know, you talk to the people who are opposed to this and they'll say, well, you're telling the guy you don't trust him to go through the lineup three times by orchestrating this setup. So, you know, how it plays out and even how it's going to affect guys in salary when some of these guys get to arbitration a couple of years from now and they don't have the traditional numbers. So there's still a lot of this to unfold, but you know, long, long-winded answer to your question is the Rays know how to use it. I think they've kind of collected enough data, figured out when it works, when it doesn't. I mean, they tried it with Johnny Venner's one game last year that wanted to start a lefty and then bring in a hard-throwing righty behind him and – Johnny Venter, veteran guy who's pitching the playoffs and stuff like that when he's with the Braves, it was just mess. He just was not suited for that role. And they're like, okay, it takes a certain guy to be able to do it too. And that's part of it, I think. And, and this dance, I know that the A's have dealt with and quite a few teams is, you know, you, you feel like your bullpen's your strength. And all of a sudden, you don't want your starters to go big innings. But then all of a sudden, once you start wearing out your bullpen, now you start talking, well, we need more innings from the starters. It's like, well... It's like this weird dance, and I've talked to Bob Melvin about it in so many different teams. I mean, in the end, you do need to get innings out of your starters or you'll burn these bullpens out. Well, or you do what the Rays have been doing and, and you know, the Dodgers do it. And I think more teams probably do it than, than we know here is you have kind of an 18-man pitching staff because you shuffle two or three guys in all the time. Whenever you need a fresh arm, you bring somebody up, have a bunch of optionable relievers, and the Rays do that all the time. I mean – I think Casey Sadler's been up and down five times now. Austin Pruitt's been up and down five times now. They have these guys, and, you know, it takes a little bit of orchestration because you do have the 10-day limit where you have to stay in the minors for 10 days. But, you know, if there's an injury or there's a trade or there's a guy on a you know 26th man, I mean, you can kind of get around the rules a little bit. But that's one thing that the Rays have done is they've expanded that roster. We used to talk about under Joe Madden, they had 25 guys, but they played like they had 28 because they had all these guys play both the positions. Well, I think they have a – 13-man pitching staff that seems like a 17 or 18-man pitching staff because they use a guy two or three days in a row, they'll send him down and bring somebody else up. 
Well, whatever they're doing, it's brilliant because <laughs> you, you're in you're in a division that I mean, this is the arms race. I mean, this is the Red Sox, this is the Yankees, this is a big money division. And the fact that they're they're always I just read it before you came on, the last 162 games, they're 101 and 61. I mean, it's pretty pretty amazing. And, and, and I look at it, the A's and the Rays are very similar. I mean, it's almost—it's almost like looking in a mirror. Do you see it that way? Absolutely. And you know, there have been a couple of players that have played for both organizations. I mean, Sam Fold, who is a big favorite, obviously among the media here, and I'm sure when he was with the A's, it was as well. And Joey Wendell, who's on the injury list right now for the Rays, he could be back this weekend. But you talk to some guys who've played in both organizations, and that's exactly what they tell you. And you know, Dan Feinstein, who worked here for the Rays and is a key guy in the front office for the A's now. And you know, there's a lot of a couple of these crossover situations, but I do think that. The basic principle, if you want to oversimplify it, and, and Billy and Eric Neander, the Rays GM, I'm sure would cringe to hear it, but it's get the most out of the least you can, and that's what they do. They get the most out of the least. They do it with low payroll. They do it with you know guys that other teams don't want, whether they're you know the teams give up on them. I mean, look at the Rays. I mean, Austin Meadows and Kyle Glass actually got hurt. Both have been kind of given up upon by the Pirates. You know, Glass now been moved to middle relief. Meadows was up and down, up and down. He wasn't getting an opportunity there. The Rays get them both in the Chris Archer trade. And, you know, if they hadn't, if Glasso hadn't gotten hurt, they probably would be the Rays' two All-Stars this year. I mean, it's just, you know, the A's do the same thing. Find value in other places. Find guys that don't fit with other teams. You know, let them do their thing here. Low-key atmosphere. You know, managers that really do a great job relating to the players. You know, don't impose a ton of rules and just kind of go with the flow. I think there's a ton of similarities. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm surprised the A's are at 500. I think they have a better team than that. The team that won 97 games last year, I mean, a lot of these guys are back. I think, you know, talking to some Rays people today, they fully expect the A's to get on a roll at some point because they're just better than they've shown. And I think the number one thing, ballpark. And right now I know with the A's, Dave Cavill, our president, and you know how tough it is to build in California, my God. He just keeps getting votes after votes after stuff passed. It just it, it, it now for the first time really feels real that the A's are going to get something done on the water in 2023. Because I've been doing this a long time, and I've seen a ton of renderings. I've seen a ton of plans. But this is finally starting to get real. Where are your, the Rays with getting a new ballpark? Well, it, it's funny because the A's were ahead for a while, and then like their last previous thing kind of blew up. And then the Rays looked like they were making a lot of progress. They unveil, unveiled a lot of really cool renderings. Last year, they're going to build in Tampa, in Ybor City, kind of a historic part of Tampa. And it looked like that was going to happen. And uh, obviously, you know Susan Slusser and yeah. John Shea really well, too, from the Chronicle. And John and I kind of have this thing whenever we go to the All-Star Games and we talk to the commissioners. You know, we both are asking them the same question. What do you think about the Rays? What do you think about the A's, their stadium situation? So we've kind of had this little derby, and it seemed like the – Rays were ahead. Then that blew up at the winter meetings this past year. The Rays pulled the plug on that. And now it looks like the A's are ahead. So for the Rays, they're in a situation where there's nothing active in Tampa. They lost. They had a window to talk to uh, Tampa people. That expired at the end of the year. The mayor of St. Pete wants them to build on this site, not right here, probably in the parking lot kind of thing, build a new stadium here. And he thinks he can make them a really good offer, which he probably can because they've got them. You guys have probably seen there's a whole all kinds of development going on in St. Pete right now. It's got a great nightlife. It's got a ton of new condos and apartments, high-end, low-end, restaurants, bars. It's really becoming a very vibrant area. He wants them to rebuild here, but the attendance is going to make that. I mean, you know, they had 5,000 for game in the last homestand. They had 6,000, two lowest crowds in franchise history. So I think 
that's not going to work. So then it's going to evolve into, will they get permission to look in Tampa again? So, you know, the clock's ticking on this. The lease expires in 2027. The owner, uh, Stu Sternberg, has made it clear that, you know, by 2023 or so, he needs to know where they're going to be in 2028, because if they're moving, they got to have a stadium being built somewhere. So I think, you know, it's headed toward resolution in some form here in the next couple of years. I think they're going to have to know. You know, as far as the A's, you know, from I agree, we've seen it sounds good, but I also would say at some point with all the, the political stuff and all the votes Dave has gotten, at some point the money has to be there too, and I'm sure that'll be the next big hurdle. And, you know, there's ballpark fatigue, both both fan bases, no question. And that's something that because part of what we're doing here with A's cast is, is we have a thing called the build, and I have Dave Cavill on every two weeks, and Dave – has mentioned he understands that there's ballpark fatigue, but we do know this: baseball wants to not move; they want to expand. They want to go to 32 like the NFL. So for them to do that, the Rays and the A's have to be taken care of, right? They do, and the commissioner has been very clear on that. But and it's also you could even take that a step further: is whatever the two expansion cities are. Let's just say Las Vegas and Montreal for the sake of this interview right now that uh, we're having this conversation. If there's a set fee of you know $2 billion, which may be a little high, but that's the expansion fee to go to Montreal and Las Vegas. If the Rays or A's don't work their stuff out and they move there, why would the owners want to let those guys reap the benefits of these incredibly good markets that they think are going to become very uh, beneficial for expansion and let the A's or the Rays have that? I think they'd rather get these situations figured out. The A's are obviously part of a huge TV market. The Rays are, depending on which list you look at, 10th, 11th, 12th biggest TV market here in the Tampa Bay area. Why would baseball want to give those up to move these teams elsewhere when they can put teams in those other markets anyway and reap a giant fee for that? They learned that from the NFL. The NFL owners have made a lot of money by allowing guys either to establish new or allowing guys to move. But you wouldn't re- you're so right. You'll reap way more money as an owner if a new franchise pops up versus moving the A's and the Rays. Hey, Mark, we really appreciate the time. Uh, fascinating stuff. And we'll, uh, let's do this again when you guys come to Oakland. Sounds good. Great appreciate stuff. It. All Thank right, you man. so much. You got it. Well, that's going to do it for A's Unfiltered. We're going to be getting out of Florida and heading back home to California to start a homestand. And whew, it's been a long road trip, but uh, it's going to be great to get back home. And of course, we'll start with A's Cast Live on Friday at 4 o'clock, getting you ready for A's baseball. That's going to do it for the show. We'll see you all back in Oakland. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 